Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Timeline, the podcast where we examine pop culture in films, television, and books across the ages. As always, we are your hosts, Lindsay and Scott. If you're interested in finding out what we've already covered or what we've got coming up in the future weeks, be sure to leave us a follow on Instagram at Go Behind the Timeline. Check us out on Twitter at Behind Timeline and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Additionally, links to our Patreon and our official website can be found in the episode descriptions if you would like to support the podcast. And now, on with the show. Right. 1985. <laughs> 1985 again. I know, but I here's what I love about where we are now. We have finally arrived at what I can only describe as the reigning king of 1985. Mm-hmm. Like this is the quintessential. I would, I would, I would be hard pressed to say that this there was a more 80s movie than this. It's funny. It's like I don't. I think that as we come towards the end of it, and we are. We're fast approaching the end of our 80s we coverage are. here. Like this is kind of some of the last of the live action 80s stuff actually that we're doing oddly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how we even define that. Like what is an 80s, like the most 80s, 80s movie? They're, they've all been so different. Um, this is, for the record, Back to the Future. Since we failed to say that, I know. <laughs> Sorry, King of 1985 guys. was, but I figure you saw it when you clicked on the episode, but whatever, I'll cut you some slack. <laughs> but yes, here we stand before the muddled mess and might of a miraculous monument of movie majesty, which I can only further describe as I am a fucking wordsmith and my alliteration skills are top notch. <laughs> I did like that. I enjoyed that. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, um, Back to the Future is honestly like the quintessential 80s masterpiece. It is arguably one of, if not, no, I would shudder to say it is probably one of the most perfect films ever made and is one of those movies, well, it's one of those movie trilogies that does not have a bad movie in it. It's one of those rare movies that doesn't have a bad movie in it. Kind of like Lord of the Rings. I'm definitely going to be asking you more about the sequels as we get there because I haven't mm-hmm. seen them. And for the record, folks, hadn't seen this movie. Yeah, I know. Like I'm so much of this other 80s stuff. <laughs> I loved it. I it's it's funny though. It's like I'm aware of like 88 miles per hour in the flux capacitor. Like this, it's not yeah. like this isn't shit that I know about, but I haven't seen it. So this was super super fun getting to watch this movie. I liked this a lot, and I do think this is like really peak. 80s this is one of the ones that i have liked the most after karate kid i think and i think i like this more than the karate kid i really liked the karate kid a lot honestly this one's just more fun like it, it just is. it is it's just everything about this is like okay let me rephrase that 98 percent of this movie is fun yeah, we're gonna get correct. into the dark part of it but and obviously everybody's gonna know exactly what the fuck we're talking about but or not because um, no one talks about it or, yeah, yeah or honestly no one really does talk about it like yeah I, but but you're right 98 percent of this is super fun i think i liked this better than the karate kid i think this is my i i actually think i might have liked it better than ghostbusters <gasps> no way well so like because that's the other epitome of the 80s right like what do we think is a better one or are they difficult to parse I, honestly because they are kind of that sci-fi genre i would have to say i do enjoy this more than i enjoyed ghostbusters like i would rewatch this before i rewatched ghostbusters if you put the two in front of me i would i would pick back to the future before i pick ghostbusters me too in a heartbeat for yeah. sure and i and ghostbusters i think would have been well i don't know you know like I don't know. I might have liked Karate Kid more. Like, honestly, I just. 
I fucking really liked the Karate Kid. I do. So, See, that's I what's know, crazy. Guys. Like the '80s is awesome. It's chock full of some bomb ass movies, man. And yeah. it sucks that we're in the '80s and we're not near Christmas because I would have loved to cover like Gremlins and shit. Well, we can do special episodes and all that. There's another movie that we will mention later in our review that we're also not doing. That is a little bit like, oh, whoopsie do. Like maybe we should we should have done that. Whoopsie, but. We can go back. Well, that can be a special episode. We'll get there to discuss it. But um, to summarize, for those like me who had not seen this, um, amidst a life-threatening mishap in a mall parking lot, teenage Marty McFly is spent speeding into the past when he encounters his mother and father. After his arrival causes changes in the timeline, Marty's forced to locate his pal Doc Brown to set to work righting the wrongs he's committed before he and the future he knows are erased forever. I wrote that, by the way. Like, I'm not pulling these from IMDb. I do think, like, because I want to keep it short and do. simple. Yeah, I know the ones that I do remember to fucking do. <laughs> no, you, we've been good about it. Dude, and I also, like, I want to let you guys know, like, I feel really bad because we did start telling you guys where we can stream this. And honest to God, like, up until about probably a month ago, you could watch this on, like, HBO Max or Netflix. And now it's literally fucking nowhere. No, I had to. I had to rent it. Yeah, I had to rent it on Amazon. I was really pissed. Um, oh my god, I forgot to go over the earlier part of this. Sorry. There's a lot of like fun facts about this, so I didn't really want to get into the who's and who isn't in this. But Back to the Future is written was written actually five years before it came out by Robert Zemeckis, who most people would know is also the director of Forrest Gump and the Polar Express, um, and his good friend Bob Gale. Bob Gale, unfortunately, the only thing he really did was all of the stuff involving Back to the Future. He wrote all three of the original films. He wrote all of the like shows and the specials and stuff like that. I think he was involved in the Telltale game as well. Yes, he was. My research is correct. Yeah. He's been like, he's, yeah, Bob Gale's like all things Back to the Future. Yeah, he kind of really didn't do anything. Whereas Zemeckis went on to do like wild shit, man. Um, and what's crazy about this, and I actually didn't know this. Um, and you guys can find a lot of this stuff out if you're if anybody here has Netflix or is fans of like past movies. There is a series on Netflix called The Movies That Made Us, and there's an entire episode about Back to the Future. And I learned a lot of this stuff watching that episode. But one of the coolest things I learned was that Robert Zemeckis was mentored heavily by Steven Spielberg, like who has a production credit on this movie. Yes, he does because they were going to use his production company to basically make it but industrial light and magic which is george lucas's company actually is the one that did the visual effects um oh he does have a producer. that's right um here's yeah, he the does he's a producer on this movie go ahead sorry no no you're fine i was actually just reading my notes as you said that um <laughs> here's the other crazy ass thing about this um while he was their first choice he was actually not the first person cast as marty mcfly as michael uh, uh, michael j fox he was the first person they wanted but at the time he was doing family ties and he couldn't he, they wouldn't let him go he just had so many schedule conflicts and so they're like why don't we bring in actually their executive producer was like let's bring in eric stoltz who was just coming off the high of his success in the movie mask um which is totally not like this movie at all <laughs> in any way um but christopher lloyd was like always their doc brown so halfway through this movie eric stoltz had this like really bad 
perception of the movie. He thought the ending was really like depressing. He couldn't pull off the lines very well. They just Zemeckis and Gale did not like Eric Stoltz in this role. And so eventually when Michael J. Fox became available and by available, his agent put the script in his hand and without even reading the script, Michael J. Fox was like, yeah, I want to do that. Well, and what happened with it, though, I was just looking at this is when they filmed it, he still was on Family Ties and had to do that. And so he was filming Family Ties during the day and then doing Back to the Future at night. Mm-hmm. So he would literally sleep everything. between sets. Yeah, which is just insane. So he like never got he never became like available. They just like figured it out, which yeah, is crazy. they worked around him. And there yeah. are still there are technically still scenes where Eric Stoltz's cut was used. When he punches Biff in the in the diner, that's Eric Stoltz, or so it's believed. Some people don't know. Um, but yeah, let's before we get into this a little much. I know we're pretty much like into the movie already, but I do have a question for you, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. If you were given the DeLorean, what where would you go? Oh, well, I mean. <laughs> Right now, seventeen no, seventy-four or whatever to find up. Jamie Fraser. Outlander <laughs> season six now streaming. Oh my god, you guys don't understand what my fucking text messages look like right now. Oh, it's it's thirsty. It's it so <laughs> is. Outlander's awesome. So everyone should watch Outlander. Um, no, I don't honestly. I don't know. That's uh, it's. That's it's super tough to say. I don't know. I don't know because there's there's times that I think it would be fun to go to, but it's like a uh, at the same time, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, like I I honestly like potentially like the eighties or the early nineties though. <laughs> Like where technology's like, all right, like shit I've already lived through, but like go do it as an adult where you could like feasibly buy a home, like shit oh, like that. Yeah, you know dude. what I mean? The 70s, you can buy a home for 32 grand. Well, and so that's the thing. Like I would, there's a lot that would, I would love to be like Peggy Olsen and go to the 60s. Um, But that's like a good for me, not necessarily for everyone else situation. And I try to be cognizant of that because there's things about that time period that are attractive to me as a white woman. But I'm like really cognizant of the fact that that doesn't like so I so I hesitate to be like, I, I want to be in the the 60s. And like that would I think it's a little bit tone deaf to be like, what a great time that was. Well, you know? yeah, uh, no, so I'm sensitive you. to that. But there are a lot of things about that era that I would like to be in. And then and like the 70s. Sure. And yeah, I'm like, man, the 80s and 90s were uh this is a good time for being able to like make a reasonable amount of money. Yeah, let's go back to it like that. I want to go back to the future, back to the eighties. Where would I you want to go? I would go to the future. That's my thing. Like I, I would, would not go I'd, to the future. That's yeah. Out. I don't want to see what I fucked up. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, I also think like as I have been ranting about regularly, I would like going back to when you could like get ahead of the gold rush, for instance. I don't oh know yeah. What, what Jamie jump in on Amazon in Virginia. <laughs> But like, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> or like, uh, like in Good Omens, where they invest in Apple in the eighties, right? Like, uh, like if we're, it depends on what we're talking about, like financially. But I think the plot of Back to the Future too teaches us that that can have dire consequences. It does have dire consequences. That's very true. <laughs> 
That's literally that's what the whole thing is about. Is Biff from the future gets a hold of like a sports history book and sends it to himself back in the fifties so he can make a bunch of sports bets and makes make a shitload of money. <laughs> so it like I... ruins the future. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm cognizant of that too because who knows? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, let's get. Uh, let's get back into the timeline here. Yeah, let's go back to the future, back to 1985. So this is our last year, I want to say, in 85. It is. I so, believe it is, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about a bunch of this stuff, but things that happened this year, uh, both New Coke and Calvin and Hobbes debuted. I fucking so, love Calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. Only the latter makes an appearance in Stranger Things 3, which is also set in 1985. Um, I'm sorry, only the former. I was going to say, wait, yeah. No, I'm yeah, no, only the former. Misspeaking there. Um, New Coke features in Stranger Things three. <laughs> They're yelling about it through the whole season. Um, hippies clash with police at Stonehenge, which is very apropos of my my Outlander rewatch. Yeah, so that's in is. here. That's why it, it's here. Um, it's the only reason. Um, and the wreckage of the Titanic is discovered. Which fuck? Like, all right. And then James Cameron came along and made everybody's favorite romantic comedy. His name is James Cameron. He's funny. <laughs> I fucking can't. <laughs> um, oh my god! So, Back to the Future does get nominated for four Academy Awards, which is cool. Um, it wins yeah, four one. total. Mm-hmm. Wins for best sound effects editing, and uh, nominated for best original song for The Power of Love, which cracks me up that that was written for this movie. Um, and uh, lost to Lionel Richie's "Say You Say Me" from White Knights. It was also nominated best original screenplay and lost to Witness. That kind of sucks. That um, really does suck. <laughs> like, yeah, fuck. And and best sound losing to Out of Africa. So all around, um, too bad. on a lot of stuff. It could it could be it could be better. But to be fair, to kind of turn it around, Back to the Future was officially entered into the li- the Library of Congress's National Film Registry in 2007 for its culturally significant um, uh, God, what is the word? Significance. Culturally significant significance. Yes, that's what it's, I'm just it's leave cultural it significance. It's I cultural think that's what you're trying to say. That's exactly yeah. what I was trying to say. Fuck me, dude. Like it's. Well, and it's it's like you said before, like the movies that made us, right? Which is that I think is my really overwhelming takeaway as someone who hadn't seen a lot of this '80s stuff, but is watching it now with a critical eye. Um, that's been really fascinating. Like, and these movies really did make us. Oh, like, they did. And yeah. I'm like, oh shit, I see. Okay, like I, it totally makes sense watching them now. Why? why it's such a big deal and you can see like all the places that they have cultural impact or that they're referenced and um and i'm like oh yeah shit i guess that is a <laughs> like it's so i'm learning a lot <laughs> i honestly feel like and this is this is why i say this is like the reigning king of the 80s i don't think any movie is as referenced or borrowed from as back to the future in the 80s strictly the 80s because we have the entire Family Guy episode about the exact same plot, which I fucking love, by the way, because he plays Rick Astley. Um, we have fucking we would not have Rick and Morty without this movie. Well, OK, so that is one of my biggest takeaways watching this. I have that note um, at the end in like fun facts that I did not realize. And I realized it the second that Doc Brown came on screen like 
and it's not like that imagery is foreign to me again like it's like well, i know yeah. stuff about this like i recognize i would recognize that but seeing him come on and like hearing him talk and stuff i was like oh so that's rick and then i was rick. like oh morty marty oh my god i fucking get it like i does morty wear the vest he no, doesn't. he only He's ever not has... actually in the outfit, right? No, he he only ever has the yellow shirt on. Okay, okay, good. I so I have seen a lot of Rick and Morty, but I'm not a huge Rick and Morty fan. Like I haven't watched every episode. I've seen a bunch of it, and I like it. I just haven't sat down to watch the whole thing. But uh, yeah, holy shit! I didn't realize that that just was Back to the Future. I had no idea that that's just what Rick and Morty is. Like, I have a whole oh, new yeah. appreciation for it. I had Dude, no idea. It's it's crazy. And like the DeLorean would not be anywhere near as popular a car. It would have fizzled out when DMC went bankrupt. It would have like no one would give a shit about this car, which another fun fact, while this movie was in production, Ford actually approached Zemeckis and was like, we'd like you guys to use the brand new Mustang. And they were like, uh-huh, no. No, and the this car, if I recall correctly, this is like a thing I knew before looking stuff up for this movie, but I'm pretty sure this car was already like not a thing. No, like, it was it on was, its way out. Nobody gave a fuck about this yeah. car. <laughs> and then they made this movie, and yeah, the DeLorean is like obviously the most iconic. I mean, oh, yeah. the, De- the DeLorean's uh, iconicness, that's not correct. Um the like significant iconography of iconography. the DeLorean. The yeah, the significant iconography of the DeLorean. Um, I think is best represented in Ready Player One. The book. The I mean, I it it's there in the movie. I just got help me that movie. But um. So it's actually funny that we mentioned Ready Player One because that actually does lead me into How have we not, by the way, in the eighties run mentioned Ready Player? Because I've I like that well the movie is good because I like the flashbacks and shit and like the Easter eggs and looking for stuff. But the book is way better. hundred times yeah, way you've better. Yeah, you've read it, All right? the time. Yes, of course. I mean, but also the book is terrible. That's it really the thing. is. It's like a really brilliant concept that is either done with just horrific prose narrated by Will Wheaton, which I'm pretty sure I've mentioned on the podcast before, yes, actually, have. like before the 80s. But yeah, my ire for that audiobook. Um, I actually and, think uh, we have discussed this on multiple I think episodes. we have. Now I'm like, I've said this before. I just don't <laughs> think we've talked about it like in the 80s, which is weird. I'm like, I don't know when this has come up. Anyway, um, terrible prose. Terrible movie adaptation, really yeah. great concept. Somewhere, somewhere in there is a nugget of gold. Oh yeah. Anyway, sure. go on. What were you? No, say about so Ready like we've already discussed it multiple times throughout '85 already. But this was the top-grossing movie of all time. It its trilogy went on to become a billion-dollar trilogy, um, and the original film made over three hundred and eight, almost three hundred ninety million dollars, which was like unfucking heard of back then because this movie only cost. 18 million to make so that's insane yeah i was thinking about that watching it like there's very little like very few special effects there are some and they're they yeah. look great but except it's all for practical. one they all look great except for one and it's when Which... marty puts his hand in front of his face when and you can start seeing through his hand and it's just it doesn't even look like his hand it just looks like someone put a hand in front of his face it totally holds up for 85 though and it was it like one does, second yeah. of screen time it was fine yeah, like i wasn't, wasn't offended by it and then there's like all the electricity and stuff and that all looked fine and yeah like the fires in the streets like all the little practical effects but yeah this was cheap this was like yeah. I, i'm like yeah i can see how you could make this like this isn't that complicated yeah <laughs> you know they have that one downtown 
that looks just like which the... is a it's a sound studio it's a it's a, god i can't remember what it's called but it's actually at columbia pictures that oh, yeah, whole studio I mean, is just the same made thing in a million movies i'm sure yeah i can't remember what other movie it's used in but it is i think it's forrest gump like that park area is used in forrest gump um that could be i mean it's like a... i mean it's another zemeckis movie so it would make sense it would you see that sometimes like Stars Hollow and Gilmore Girls is the same town as the one used in Pretty Little Liars. It's the same little set. I did not like, know that. That's actually awesome. You know me. Barely, I'm a huge Gilmore Girls fan. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Uh, and and PLL, I know. Well, yeah, <laughs> you care deeply about the I mystery do. of who A was. But no, it actually is funny if you're like, like, because obviously Pretty Little Liars came out later. And it's funny watching that, having seen Gilmore Girls when it was on and like really being a fan. Yeah. Of the show. And you and like, like, oh, totally fucking it's it. the, <laughs> yeah, it's all the, it's like super, super noticeable. Like they changed nothing about Stars Hollow for Pretty that's Little Liars. That's unbelievable. That's lazy. Anyway, well, that's just lazy um, writing. But um, it, no. <laughs> I thought that the soundstage for this lo- and credit to um, Kevin Feige looked just like the the little town that they have in WandaVision. Yes, it did. That's what it's supposed. That's what mm-hmm. WandaVision is trying to do, right? That's so kind of what she went for, yeah. Yeah. So okay, I think it's so funny that we keep bringing up these other things, and I want—I never mentioned this because you guys, like, I'm the only one that cares. But you guys know I'm a huge film score buff. The film score. You never this, mention it. We talk about the score in every movie. Be I know. But, well, I just mean like it was. It had it like when we were talking about Batman. I was just like, oh, dude, this is a great score or whatever. Right. Um, right. This movie's film score was composed by Alan Silvestri, who also did the score for Forrest Gump, also did the score for Ready Player One, also did the score for both Endgame and Infinity War. And I'm going to bring those two up in a minute here because it is important. Um, But because you just mentioned it, he also did the... He also did it for A Night at the Museum, fucking The Croods, The Mummy. He did all these movies. Night at the Museum. God, I love Night at the Museum. Slow key. I love that. Can we put that on the timeline? Yes, it absolutely should be if it's not already. (laughs) I love that movie. I'm going to add it right now. Go on. Yeah, dude. No, it's just like, it's crazy to me. He also did Fern Gully and Father of the Bride, which I'm going to be honest with you guys. I love Steve Martin's Father of the Bride. I love both of those movies. Anyway, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because as we always cover in our sequels, this movie is one of the first movies to have its sequels shot back to back. The only time that happened previously was in Superman 1977 and Superman 2 1980. Originally, they were supposed to be a dual adventure and come out six months apart, but because of scheduling and production conflicts, they were separated by three years. However, but those movies were filmed to, filmed together. Superman they were filmed back two? to back. Yeah. Huh. And it would go on to join the ranks of some of the most infamous uh, film sequels shot back to back, including Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Infinity War and Endgame. So it's crazy that like these things that tied Alan Silvestri to this movie and like Bob Zemeckis and like they joined back up in Forrest Gump after doing this and then like alan silvestri composed in game and then alan silvestri also composes i just think it's crazy that there's all these like things tying these movies together and we're starting to get into that age where yeah exactly we're starting to get into all these movies where like shit is a part of something bigger or someone is involved in more than like these major things or whatever well we're getting to 
the explosion of pop culture mm -hmm. is what is what's happening right now because now we're in the the end of the mid 80s right this is yep. the last big movie we have of 85 and um yeah it's the explosion of pop culture it's 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 the reason that every year now in the in memoriam and the oscars there's more and more colored pictures and yeah. people we recognize because all of a sudden we're looking at our own lifetime and so, of course, there's going to be all this connectivity to stuff that exists later or exists now because all these guys are, like, still alive and working in a lot of cases, right? Yeah, like, Zemeckis definitely. is still around, isn't he? Yeah, like, he just did uh, – oh, my God. They, to call yeah. back to another fucking episode we did, he did the Christmas Carol, the animated one with Jim yeah, Carrey. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah, of all – and that, that makes sense, this doesn't it? Actual um, <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> this so is awful. Like, what? Um – but uh, the reason I say that tracks is it reminds me of the, it's like the animation that he used in, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, totally. What's it called? Uh, the Polar Express. Yes. Well, that's <laughs> I'm like, the Polar Express guy. I thought you were talking about this. I'm like, we already talked about the lightning. No, no, no. <laughs> the, the, no, I'm saying that it tracks that Zemeckis did. That, oh, did the two of those? The yeah. Christmas Carol movie because it looked just like the animation and it was the same as Polar Express. That's why I'm saying that makes sense. Not because it was bad. Um, I was like, hang on, wait, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> I what you just said. So, um, so yeah. And, um, okay. So we talked about the sequels. So I think we need to talk about the different brush that the eighties was painted with in this movie, because yeah. up to this point we had ghostbusters, which didn't really give you like that eighties vibe. It just, that's just when it took place. But then we get stuff like, the karate kid which is very 80s you've got them influenced by music you've got you know people moving out west for like cheaper you know like homes and stuff like that like everybody's moving away from like the east coast and stuff you've got you know the rise of popular things like karate and soccer was becoming a huge thing <laughs> like karate like karate that fucking movie dude. and solving like all your problems with karate everything about that <laughs> sentence i know <laughs> But, but no, it's a different kind of kid, right? Yes, absolutely. It's a then, and we've seen lots of different kinds of '80s kids. And again, I want to call back to the brilliance of Stranger Things in having these different groups of kids that represent these different groups of kids that were in these '80s movies. Like, I am really seeing all of that connective tissue, and yeah. just fucking kudos to the Duffer Brothers, man. Like, because it's so evident all these different types of kids. And I said with Karate Kid, like. Daniel San was like 12 years old oh, yeah. and supposed to be like 16. And Marty is like 25, like a yep. cool 25. And he's supposed to be like 17. 17. Just yeah. like, damn. I'm like, Marty shouldn't have to lie to his mom about where he is. Marty's a man. Marty's going to like go out in the town with his girlfriend. It's fine. Like no one should talk. No one should ask him any fucking questions. Whereas with Daniel, I'm like, how come no one's asking questions about why does he not is? have like, a goddamn chaperone? Like <laughs> I feel totally different about Marty than I, he is such a more grown, uh, like Michael J. Fox is just fantastic, but I like do not buy him as a teenager for a fucking second in this movie. So here's what's really funny about that to me. I buy it when he's in the past. He strikes me as a teenager in the past, but when he's in his present, I'm like, no, this is weird. Like, yeah, he just doesn't I feel it. I, I 
feel you and let's I'm going to save my thoughts on that for when we talk about the the love triangle, right? The love triangle that wasn't um cuz I think that I think that that impacts it, makes him seem more childish. I, yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah. But yeah, when he's in his own time, like him when he's out with Jennifer or whatever, I'm like yeah, that, Leah he Thompson. seems totally an adult to me. Yeah, like yeah. but the language here was more adult too. Oh yeah. I actually was just saying this when we were watching cuz I just watched it like an hour ago. I was it this is PG and within the first like 30 minutes they've already dropped shit twice. And he's saying like, God damn it. And Jesus Christ and stuff like all over the place. I was like, holy crap, dude. Like we're really stepping into a more mature feeling now. Yeah. I was kind of surprised. Well, I guess not really that they didn't give it a PG 13. I guess that's, it's probably fine. Like it was just some shits and a Jesus Christ, but there was also yeah. like a lot of uh, like, there were some funny sexual innuendo jokes. Like I really liked when he's talking to his, his dad in the past timeline and he's talking to George and he's like, how did you ever even like, Oh yeah. It's like, how did you, what <laughs> did does he say? Get, he's, like, he's like, how did you even get, Oh, it's like, gonna, it's, it's like a get it up joke or something. Yeah, like that. it is. It's like, how did you even, it's like, you're so incompetent. How'd you even fuck mom is basically mm. what he says. And I'm like, dude, like, dude, yeah, obviously those are not his words but well, uh, yeah that was the that was the idea also but matt yeah. shout out to crispin glover dude like first of all on set he was apparently a nightmare and he kept just like during his lines he would just wander off camera and so they had to like legitimately build a box for him to stand in when they're doing that that scene in the backyard where he's hanging laundry and they're talking about Wait, how which like, one who is this the crispin guy glover the guy who George? plays his dad yeah okay, okay. so that's the other thing um the act chrisman glover plays his dad in the present whoops in his in the present and in the past and the actress that plays his mom is the same thing and during this is another random fun fact and we'll jump back in but um during filming the actress who plays his mom had to be um examined by the set doctor to make sure like she was okay and you know like everybody's getting physicals and stuff like that um, but she was in full makeup to look elderly, like, you know, like 30 <laughs> years older. Um, uh -huh. And the doctor legitimately was like, for someone her age, she's surprisingly like healthy. And everybody's like, <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Like, she's 23. Right. <laughs> it was just That's like, funny. I just thought that was really funny. The makeup was well done. And yeah, you're right. They are. It is just the same actors, which, yeah, it's. It should have won for makeup. I feel like it should have. Yeah, honestly, because I'm like, oh, yeah, it was the same guy. Um, yeah. Um, so I uh, I first want to point out denim upon denim. Oh, my God. That we're seeing everywhere. I don't think we've called that out enough in the 80s. No, there's, it's, there's a it's lot, all over the goddamn place. A lot of denim. Uh, just just saying. Um, but no neglectful parents. There's very little cocaine. We have two done. parents. Yeah, we got two parents who seem like reasonably not miserable with one another. Even in the even in like the first version of his present, like it's not. His it's mom not is definitely an alcoholic, thing. though. Hundred percent, she is an alcoholic. She gets up to refill her glass of vodka, and like, there's yeah, no chaser, true. and there's that's no true. mixer. She's, she's drinking vodka. You're right. Yeah, but it's still like. It's not a nightmare scape. Like a oh, hellscape. no, not you know at what all. I mean? No. It's like it's it doesn't seem like a broken home. You know, it's not great, but 
it's you know nobody's perfect yeah <laughs> Pobody's nerfed scott's fine yeah. <laughs> i only had one officer beer <laughs> but uh but yeah two parents and no cocaine in the house that's all i'm saying no, is like there's no not... drug reference anywhere in this in this movie which i thought was really nice they said well they seem like attentive to like where their kids are. Like there's just, you know what I mean? Like it seems like everybody kind of has their shit together. Almost. This is like the opposite of what we've been seeing. Like the complete polar opposite. Instead of being neglectful parents, she's overbearing. Yeah. Well, and again, stranger things. Huzzah. They also have this variety. They have like, it's like the wheelers are more like this family. Right. Whereas like Joyce Byers is like, like the nightmare hellscape version of all the single parents in these movies. Um, she makes it work until she loses Bob. Oh God. I love Bob. Bob's anyway. such a hero. So here, here's what I like, and I'm going to like, cause this was like your note, but like this movie was stupidly well-written and I know that's the title of your fucking part here, but like, it really is like, it really is just like super well-written. And it's not done in a complicated way. It's straightforward, right? It's not like uh, my favorite comparison, like Westworld season one as well. Oh my God, yeah. Right, like it's like a complete mind fuck, but it's like expertly done. This is not complicated. It's straightforward, but it has Mm -hmm. these funny through lines, like the Calvin Klein thing I really liked. And it takes these like straightforward character developing moments, like Marty skateboarding in the opening scene in the movie, right? In the, and then- takes that into add like drama and suspense and these like future things that he brings in when he like invents the skateboard later in the the 1950s timeline like look at that guy yeah like that's well done and it's it's predictable setups right like we know that he's gonna have to use the exposition on his parents first date oh yeah he'll have to use the under the sea dance and all that shit yeah his like knowledge of what we get earlier in the movie and it's like it's predictable right like i think if there was a movie that came out today like this i mean i think it's why stuff is more complicated where it would be like oh so obvious like we want to be surprised as an audience yeah i i think also if you are just watching the movie it because uh, dude i'll tell you i'll be totally honest with you and shout out to my mom um my mom will go over stories from our childhood all the time. So if you're just watching this movie, you could genuinely just think, oh, it's just the mom retelling their story and showing like how I don't want to say she's unhappy because she's clearly in love with George, but I feel like she feels unfulfilled. Yeah. She's clearly a little jaded and drinking and like, and she's pissed about her brother too, right? There's like this whole, like, which is totally wild that he like failed to get out of jail. It's like the opening scene of this movie. Parole, yeah. And they have a cake room and shit. Yeah. And and that was kind of, I feel like there's a deleted scene somewhere where that gets paid off a little bit better because I'm like, yo, what? Yeah, I know. Well, and then they just bring it back when he eats dinner with them in the future or in the past, and he, he like doesn't want to get out of the crib. And in my head, I'm like, that's bad parenting. Like your baby has a fit whenever you take him out of the crib. Fucking break him of that. The kid needs to learn how to not be in a goddamn crib. But it's just like an alliteration to Joey never getting out of prison. I get that. I just thought it was really funny. <laughs> An allusion to it. Allusion, not alliteration. Whatever, guys. <laughs> I'm not a goddamn nitpicking you. Grammar doctor. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, the brother thing was strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like it's these predictable setups that are just done really, really well. And and like like the Battle of the Band stuff, like it was just set up and payoff, which is good writing. And there's just a lot of it. Exactly. And you you said it before, but it doesn't overcomplicate it. It's just like. Oh, the he got locked in the trunk of the car by the fucking goons. Uh, Barry's got to slice his hand open in the effort to get Marty out of the trunk. Oh, shit. Now Marty's got to play guitar. Oh, he played guitar in the beginning. Now this is coming back. He helped save the day. Way to go. Everything that they set up in the opening scene pays off later, which is just, I mean, even the way that the plutonium plays off, pays off in the first scene where you hear it talked about over the radio of like, who stole the plutonium or whatever. And then you see it under Doc Brown's bed and it's like everything that they mention and like use for character building and world building gets paid off later in the movie. Everything. And actually there's a, there's foreshadowing in the beginning of the movie too, when it's the opening credits and it's going through all the clocks. One of the clocks looks like the uh, courthouse building and there's a man hanging off of it. Huh? That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't notice that until this walkthrough or this watch through, but I was like, Holy shit, dude, that's actually freaking awesome. It's just set up super, super well. So the next thing that that I have on here is just a conversation about this kind of movie. Like speaking of how it's written and put together and why it did so well. We this is kind of the next thing I think in sci-fi and fantasy. Like, I agree. We had a lot of space, mm-hmm. right? Like we've had 2001 Space Odyssey, Star Wars, E.T. have all come out at this point and Ghostbusters, which I would argue is more parody of like the burgeoning horror genre that was happening alongside this sci-fi revolution more than it is part of the sci-fi movies. I think it started playing off of that creature feature ghost story exorcist type thing, but it put a fun spin on it and made that kind of iconography. I mean, I just totally overpronounced that, but it took that kind of like visual the right medium. Use of the word. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I took it it took that visual medium and it made it more presentable to the general public cuz like my mom had to literally basically kidnap my aunt Jamie and force her to see the exorcist and like parents weren't taking their kids to see movies like that kids were having to like you know watch alien behind their parents back and shit so mm-hmm. I think like ghostbusters opened the door for like hey this could be creepy but it's also really fun and funny and I think that's what this did for the next step in sci-fi fantasy was hey why don't we focus a lot on time travel and show that like science doesn't have to be about war and crazy like futuristic shit right and nor does it have to be high fantasy because so while we have all this like sci-fi stuff kind of happening that's mostly focused on space um we also have um never ending story that's already been out from 84 but on its way labyrinth in 86 and willow in 88 and this was neither of those things. This is kind of a new group for sci-fi fantasy in in film. Um, in literature, there was, before this, H.G. Wells' The Time Machine in, in 1895. Um, and then after that, Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which we've heard other versions of, right? Holy From shit. 1889. Wait a minute. Is that literally what a kid in King Arthur's court is based off of? 
Yeah, and there's been a million adaptations of it, all the way back to the 1920s in film. That has been adapted a million times. Um, and then when they adapted Wells' Time Machine in 1960, that won the Oscar for Best Visual Best Effects. Visual Effects, yeah. But it wasn't until 85 when this became a thing in film. And it happens with this movie and with fucking Terminator, also in mm-hmm. 1985. That is the movie I was referring to that we're not doing. And maybe I think we can come back to for a special, like, we'll I think do a Terminator we extravaganza yeah. one day. Let us know, guys, if you want us to do a Terminator extravaganza, because we can. I, I like that as being our way to go back to things that we skipped, do an extravaganza of them by request (laughs) so let us know if you want to come back for terminator extravaganza because i do love me some terminator but uh but those were really the first two to tackle time travel in a really different way from one another like they're super unique obviously um back to the future and terminator but coming out in the same year and being the really the first time travel movies to come out and i read an article from the atlantic about this today that I thought was really interesting. And it talks about how like one of the reasons that this hadn't really been done is that like time travel stories are really hard to tell because the people who are interested in them are finicky, like genre Super people. Nitpicky. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, they're trying to avoid plot holes and paradoxes to like a picky audience. But this, the article that I read makes the, the argument that Terminator and back to the future had success because they wrote, like their key is write a time travel story that is so much fun. Mainstream audiences don't care about the consistency. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't make it about like the science of time travel and you're just like, Oh, time travel exists because I did this. Cool. Let's move on. I think you're, you're going to have more success than trying to explain time travel in a way that people like people want things explained like don't get me wrong like you want to know how shit works but at the same time you're like okay it's sciencey science shit like what ant-man says like just throw quantum onto anything and it becomes science well i think it's about the balance right and i think that's why these two movies are successful because they are they explain the science just enough just enough that there's a million videos about like how does the time travel work in Back to the Future? There's a reason it gets brought up in Endgame. You know what I mean? Like it's set a precedent. Back to the Future is what... bullshit. Yeah, right. Um, and it's like I, I think there's enough science in them. Terminator as well. Like, like how many times have you heard people say, "Is it Back to the Future rules? Is it Terminator rules? Is it like there's enough science in these movies to create a whole genre based on them?" And and yet it is balanced enough on the story and the characters that where there are plot holes or issues and it's not perfect, that's okay. And an example of where they they overdid it on the science side, I think, is uh, Interstellar's <laughs> the example of one that did this less well. Right, Interstellar focuses really really hard on the the science of the time. Um, it's they, it's really it's not really time travel in Interstellar, right? It's time dilation, which well that's the real science. Right. But it, and I liked Interstellar. Don't get me wrong. It's like, it just, that I think is an example of where you can get bogged down by a lot of science. Whereas in like back to the future, it's like, no, I mean, you can set up like entire fantasy time travel rules based on this, but it's not, we're not getting bogged down in it. And it has a lot of character and Endgame, which is the highest grossing movie of all fucking time. Right. Is a time travel movie. It is. That has enough science 
to make everybody's like have questions and have a discussion about it and be engaged. But also it's like emotional enough that we're not hinging everything we have on that. And like, sorry, Matthew McConaughey, but that's not what I took out of Interstellar. No, not at all. <laughs> well, and here's the thing is like Endgame explains it enough in such a way that you're like, okay, I'm fine with that. That totally makes sense. And I think this is just me. I think it's because I'm a fucking idiot. And he, Dr. Banner explains it to Scott the same way I would want someone to explain it to me because I would just have the exact same reaction that Scott has. <laughs> just be like, back to the future is bullshit. <laughs> like, it just, it worked because you didn't spend, you spent enough time on it to say, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That past is now your present. And everything that happened before that is now your past. So I get that. That's totally fine. And it creates the multiverse, which I like. Like it, it and we get the nice visual um, with Hulk later, right? Yeah, when, uh, where she creates the divergent. The, what's her name? Yeah, exactly. We get to see the the like imagery of it. Personally, and game rules are my favorite. What are your favorite I agree. time travel? No, rules? I actually I do agree with you. I think end games, and I think it's because it's the cleanest. It just like it makes sense. It validates everything, which yeah. I really like. I think that that's the attractive part of it. And it's certainly what's attractive to me about how they're able to use the multiverse in the cinematic universe that like, like with No Way Home, all of these stories are equally valid just because yeah. we start like we don't have to start over. Everything can exist. Yeah, it can be this like overlapping thing. And I think that's the benefit to having the MCU in the situation it's in right now mm -hmm. is... And hopefully the DCEU, please God, Flashpoint. Oh my God, which got delayed. Um, well, okay, yes. And actually, apropos, I did want to make a an, an actual, like I'm serious, Flash reference. Not, not like I'm I know, being an asshole Flash reference. Finally, it comes reference. forward to like... <laughs> actually, one that makes sense and is apropos now of this is my movie. moment. <laughs> um, something that I know, <laughs> I've been waiting for this. Something that I really like about the way that the time travel works in back to the future is that when Marty comes back, it is not the same. And we'll talk about that when we talk right. about George more, but it is a, it's a really different future. And that's very much like at least the flash on the CW. So I'm going to be clear. I'm not yeah. <laughs> like fluent enough in the comics to make that statement. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but with the flash, I feel like it's like, yeah, you can go back and fix some shit in the timeline. Like you can undo flashpoint, but it wasn't exactly the same. It's never exactly the same when you fuck with the timeline. Yeah. So I liked that about this movie that it, it does incorporate that versus like, like it does Harry have repercussions rules. and shit. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, cause Harry Potter rules are basically back to the future rules, but with a more of a sort of fatalist looping where it's like, it's not you never nothing ever really changes it's just you gain a better of an understanding of how it actually happened you would have well and the way they kind of explain it too is you have to have a direct hand in a like an event to alter the outcome like and the the best example of it in prisoner of azkaban is they never would have left hagrid's hut if harry hadn't thrown the rock through the window that's what I mean. It's like the time travel just explains how something happened. It can never really change what happened. Like Harry Potter exists in a um, a fixed loop, whereas Back to the Future absolutely does not. Like Back to the Future created another branch of the multiverse, except without using the multiverse explanation. <laughs> but th but that they changed like a lot. Like his future is very different. Um, and I love that everyone's cool with that. 
nobody zero percent concerned about that outcome he's like great everyone's better for this and they are like they seem much happier so i guess why would you but like damn I want to I want to take a moment to kind of interject another fun fact and it's another major reason that they replaced Eric Stoltz um when he read the ending of the movie he was the only one that was like this is so depressing and right? Zemeckis and Gale were like what the fuck are you talking about and he's like Marty comes back to a life he doesn't know he he doesn't right. know his brother is successful. His sister's very clearly successful. His parents are like kings, you know, like they're kings and queens they're of the rich. world and his shit. His girlfriend's yeah. been recast yes. in the sequels. Right? That's true. Yeah, I think that was a medical reason, though, if memory serves. I think I think it was too. Yeah, um, but no, it just it, and I get it from that standpoint. But like, they were like, "Why are you fucking focusing on that? Like, this is a fun movie," and I'm like that's that's a really shitty way to look at the ending of it because he got like a happy ending i mean obviously major fucking setup for a sequel but well obviously that but i mean just the ending of what happens with the mcflies right it's like oh my god like it's had like a really positive impact on you but it's just yeah it's just very clear that you can change the future like it it raises the stakes going into the sequels frankly it's like oh my god like it was like things were really different and you can tell that that's a butterfly effect because like the big beats still happened and i liked that about the way they did this of like you could never as marty like even let's say he had a functioning DeLorean and like all the energy in the world to power it. And it wasn't a problem and he could like go back and try again. Right. Right. Um, and do like a time loop, like, which is always my favorite episode of anything is the time loop episode. Huzzah. Yeah. Love me a groundhog day <laughs> episode of anything. Um, the groundhog day episode of, uh, legends of tomorrow is really good. I'm just going to drop that out into the universe. <laughs> I can't get away from it, you guys. Yeah, you, know, you should be embarrassed for me. Um, I'm not. <laughs> but even if even if Marty it, could, <laughs> even if Marty could go do that, I don't know what he like how he would have any idea what to do differently other exactly. than to just like not touch the situation, like to go grab himself and be like, "Hey, or, or let's just go chill." Well, and I I think another way that like makes it work is until the problem arises which is a really good lead into my next topic but until the problem arises where he has to fix something his only concern is getting back to his own time it's not changing the future because his life sucks now it's not helping his parents with this that or the other thing it literally has nothing to do with time travel he is not interested at all and i think that's why it works he wants he's like when he runs into his dad at the at like the diner or whatever which was awesome um he he's he's he wants to follow his dad right he's curious to talk to his dad he, well yeah he's kind of in shock he's like holy shit dude yeah he does follow him but it's not so much that he you're right he doesn't want to change anything he just sort of like whoopsie like instinctually follows his dad which low-key i'm like okay i get i get that you're in shock however you just had like you just had proof that this works with dark brown right before any of this shit went down before like the libyans showed up or whatever so it's like shoot shoot him out um random with that it was actually <laughs> but, very uh, random so fucking random um 
But uh, before that happened, like he had proof of time travel. Like he watched that happen. He clearly has been working with Doc Brown. Like he gets science for what, like, I love that that goes unexplained that he's like, what, how is he a science nerd? How does he know Doc Brown? No one knows. Doesn't matter. Apparently. And I looked this up a while <laughs> he's ago. He's such a cool kid. To he be is such science. a like cool kid, but he's also like a goof. And I think that's like why I love him so much. Um, but I did look it up. There is apparently there's like a, either a deleted scene or like a couple deleted pieces of lines or dialogue or whatever that explains how Marty met Doc Holliday or Doc Holliday. Jesus Christ. De- met Doc what? Brown. Yeah. I just jumped right over to Tombstone. Um, <laughs> but it's how he it. And I, I can never remember because it's so like minute and throw away you just kind of assume that this 17 year old kid is friends with this crackpot science like inventor or whatever and his mom does make a comment about it. she's like i don't like you hanging out with that doc brown He's yeah dangerous. right like, like <laughs> 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 okay. well which is what i wished that daniel's mother had said when he started spending a lot of time yeah, why are you hanging Miyagi? out with this crazy ass old man yeah, like teaching you to fight on? <laughs> what's go- yeah what is going on it's exactly and she asks it and i'm like leave michael j fox alone he doesn't need your supervision because <laughs> so i feel totally differently about it Ma, don't you know karate <laughs> solves everything <laughs> It's literally all he ever had to say, and we never got but it's, it. It is a little bit like that, though. There's like a whole Karate Kid movie about him becoming friends with Doc Brown that happens before this, yeah. right? Like, there's a there's definitely a, a prequel where like cool kid becomes nerd. Like, it's like becomes the opposite of the Spider Man story. Yeah. Like, what's going on? <laughs> he was all right, and then like, yeah, well, yeah. Here's the other thing I don't get because I'm gonna lead right into my other thing in a minute here, but like. The whole this is in the middle of 1985, so like Queen has been out. Uh, if fucking the Eagles have been out, like Van Halen, all of this shit, and the school like is not receptive to rock and roll at a school dance. That's fucking stupid to me. And it was Battle of the Bands. Like, do you have to audition for Battle of the Bands? Like, you can't just be in your high school Battle of the Bands. Apparently like, you have not. To, like, what the fuck is that about? I don't, so. I, yeah, that was weird. And ev- if you pay close enough attention, every band that they show as he's walking into the auditorium looks like a grunge metal band. So, yeah. like, what's happening up to this point? Or is it just like the one kid that his mom made him play violin until, like, since he was five? Did that kid come up and then the rest were rock bands? What the fuck? I have no idea. I have no idea. I think maybe it's just to show that like the adults still are stuffy. They're like, still they all stuffy grew up in the fifties. Yeah. yeah, like the kids are like he's like your kids will love it, right? Like it's and, yeah. yeah. I I mean, I don't really know because except that the principal wouldn't be listening to it, but I can't imagine that everyone else in Battle of the Bands in nineteen eighty five was like playing classical music, like you say. So I Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. But uh do you want to tell me about the love triangle that wasn't the love triangle that wasn't and this is please guys, rant to me about I'm, this i am gonna rant because this leads literally right into something that i have a major problem with star wars and new hope about and these examples are perfect um and also i'm a fan of classic literature so like romeo and juliet is involved in this too i titled this portion of it the Oedip- the <laughs> the oedipus misconception because everybody literally says that this movie is a prime example of the oedipus complex wherein you're in love with your mom which for those of you who actually haven't read it oedipus is not in love with his mom he kills his dad and marries her to secure uh like standing or something like that he's not like actually in love with his mom 
I mean, maybe he is. I don't know, but they don't really. Isn't the like Oedipus that. story that he doesn't know that it's his mom until after? Basically, uh, that's the Oedipus story. It's like he does marry his mom. I'm pretty sure, but yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, he doesn't, doesn't know until realize it. Yeah, but that is, but that's not what's happening here. No, correct. not at all. Like, that's the whole it's not problem. An, an Oedipal complex um, movie. So, like, yeah, I mean, it spawns. It, supposedly it spawns this like love triangle between marty uh, george and lorraine like it creates emotion and i get it for like plot points like it creates an emotional weight it provides like these hilarious problems for marty to overcome uh that he'd otherwise never have imagined or like had to deal with because it allows for the movie to like progress forward but it also allows us to see the triumph of george mcfly like grow into his own and become courageous and shit the <laughs> the problem is there is no fucking love triangle. Marty is not in love with his mom. He's not in any way trying to get with her. He's not trying to fucking make something happen. You can tell from the jump. He is uncomfortable as fuck and wants to get out of there. And this is why I have a fucking problem is it's the same people that say that Romeo and Juliet is this monumental love story when it's really a 13 and a 16 year old who met for one night at a party and killed themselves three days later because their parents said they couldn't date. It's not a great love story. It's the exact same fucking argument that people make when they're like Han shot first. Han is the only one who shot. <laughs> Dude, in not. Uh... <laughs> In one of the most recent episodes of This Is Us. Oh my god. Remember I was texting you about these two yes. these two kids, right? And I'm like, so these two teenagers are like trying to move away together and the parents are like, that's not what we're, what's gonna happen. Right. Like, I think I saw a piece like, of that episode. Yeah, and they're like, it's just not gonna be like like Romeo and Juliet. And one of them's like, it's like, well, what happened to Romeo and Juliet? And she Romeo and Juliet's parents, because I think they're talking about the parents, she's like, their children died. That's what happened. Yeah, their children, children died. Children That's died. exactly what fucking happens, man. <laughs> it's so it's like, dumb. Yeah. It just uh, like it blows my mind. <laughs> I don't understand how people arrive at this and think like, oh yeah, dude, Marty like totally wants to fuck his mom. No. She is all ready to jump his bones every time they see each other. She has problems talking to him. She can't even look him in the eye. She thinks he's so fucking fly. No pun intended. Well, and I get why. And like, I, I also think all of that is part of how good the writing is too, because all of the things that the future version of her says she would never do. I've never parked with a boy. I've never, I would never ask a boy out. And she's like, so forward. With, oh yeah. She's smoking in the car. She's drinking in the car. Drinking. Like, yeah, she's like, dude. she's like, I'm almost 18. I've parked in a car with a boy before. What do you think this is? Dude, like, that I was, I forgot that was a line. And I was like, holy shit, dude. Like, I, forgot. <laughs> I mean, and it's like, I think it speaks to, um, like on a deeper level, like why she seems unhappy later. Cause she's obviously kind of like a spitfire, you know? Yeah. She's adventurous and like outgoing and, and George is not. George is just like him in that. I mean, in that timeline, right? The, well, the, yeah. In the original timeline. The version of him that is now dead. Yeah. The one that never happened now. <laughs> I mean, a good oh for them God. too. Cause like, it does show that like, the variant be yeah the, va <laughs> the variant George. <laughs> oh man if the tva was not involved in this movie like at all like it's one of those avengers things like the avengers were meant to do that 
George McFly was meant to stand up for his mom. But he here's... absolutely was. <laughs> this is the true timeline. That's, you know, that's why it's okay. That's why, you know, I think we just found the moral. The TVA stepped back on this one because this is the right timeline. The other version was a variant. That's what we saw. That's why they Actually, allowed the time travel to happen. Yeah, this is my new favorite theory is that that's why it's okay that those versions are dead. They were just variants. They were the real variant. God dang it, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. That's this actually awesome. Real, and I kind of love timeline. that. Sacred timeline. I like that. All right. Well, we solved it, folks. We can go home now. We've got, Thank we've you for fixed- enjoying the podcast. This is the final episode. Yep. Have a great lesson. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I can't. I feel like people focus too much on this stupid subplot that isn't a subplot i'm surprised it's a whole thing i'm actually really shocked to hear that like people think that because this was just great comedy of him being like oh my god my mom wants to make out with me and then also she's the one that says like dude it's like kissing my brother like she's the one that comes to the realization that this is not fucking right well, and which I think is so cool because I think that you can explain both her attraction to him and her like sexual revulsion to him. Oh, yeah. With like, I think that that makes sense as an underlying like theme and an example of the good writing in this of like, yeah, if there's some part of you that can tell that this like future person is your kid, like if that's what we're setting up as canon, I think it both makes sense that you would have an uncanny attraction to that person and also that it would not be sexual. It would feel weird, right? Yeah. 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 That's what like family love is, right? Like that makes sense. That totally tracks. So I, I really enjoy it actually. I'm surprised that this is like a thing for people. Well, I know. And that's the other thing that like blows my mind is it does kind of create like a little bit of a don't get me wrong there are a few plot holes in this movie that are very much worth mentioning but the biggest one is how do the parents not immediately question that marty looks just like the kid that brought them together i can answer that for you please do um and in fact uh what's his name bob gale confirmed this apparently there was like a twitter discussion about it yeah between that chris pratt weighed in on twitter about this apparently and bob gale fucking responded i read about this tonight so apparently there was like the whole flurry about this plot hole and what's going on and i think the answer is really simple and bob gale agreed that it's like how well with no photos oh would you remember now yeah, would I mean somebody that you knew for eight days in high school? How well do you remember what they look like? Like if you think back to someone who maybe went to school with you for like a semester, or somebody's cousin who was in town for a little while, like how well can you really remember their face? That's a good point. I actually am kind of okay with that. I like that answer. And you're gonna know your kid from infancy, and it's always like you know when you see a kid every day, you don't really notice how much they change, right? It's only when the Stranger Things kids come back between seasons that we're like, my goodness, Millie Bobby Brown is aged, right? It's like, yeah, we. but if you see them every day, you don't notice those changes. So I don't see why you would think that your son, who you've seen every day of his life for 16 years, why you would like one day you would be like, my God, the resemblance that you've suddenly taken on <laughs> to this kid I knew in high school. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Like, why would anybody fucking, how would you even, I don't see why that's a, pl- a controversial plot hole. I'm like, why the fuck would you? I, what I think is weird is that they don't name their first kid Marty if they like the That's, name so uh, much. Yeah, for real. If, yeah, <laughs> it's actually a good point. That would have been a way funnier thing to come back and then be like, 
that's not my name. Why are you calling that, me yeah, your name? Like, what the For them fuck? to be referring to the oldest kid as Marty. Like, that's what it should have been. And then he finds out that his name is now, like, Doug or whatever. Like, damn. It's fucking Steve. Yeah. They got it out of a baby book. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's... I think that would have been the footage. Like, that's the plot hole. Why did they wait? Yeah. Why did they wait until three kids to fucking name it after this kid that had such a major impact on their relationship coming together? Well, and also that they don't, like, remember when they talk about their relationship that they like and this leads into the two percent of this that isn't funny uh when they talk about their relationship they only remember like in the future the timeline, the it. new future no they're like he's all like oh well biff worked for me or i went to high school with biff and now look what a douchey is like cleaning my car for me what an asshole and it's like and she's like well if it wasn't for biff we would never have fallen in love and i'm like what about marty like why are we why why do we recall your assailant and yeah. not like the Thank nice you. kid that like I'm bringing yeah. this up right now because this never gets talked about and I feel like it is such a disservice to the actual horror that happens on a daily basis. If you guys watch this movie and are not in any way outraged or uncomfortable with any of the fucking actions that Biff takes anytime he interacts with Lorraine I urge you to rewatch the movie straight up. He is legitimately about to rape her. Like to the point that she is asking for help. She is trying to fight him off. She has tears in her eyes and George literally almost walks away. Yeah. He like literally, first of all, he also implies that she's like easy earlier in the movie because, um, he says something about like she's like i'm not that kind of girl and he's like how do you know you may just like not know it yet or you might be that kind of girl and you just don't know it yet and then like i'm watching this movie and i like i remembered this stuff before i I did my rewatch or whatever because it has always really fucking bothered me but now that i'm rewatching it again your comment about how they are like (laughs) i went to high school with biff that guy's such a kidder if i was the mom i would have been like yeah he literally almost raped me i don't want him anywhere near my goddamn house no he assaulted her absolutely and i think and people if if anybody that jumps in sorry i don't want to cut you off real quick but if anybody jumps in and is like it's the 50s fuck you dude that is not a fucking reason and that is not an excuse that is terrible writing and I'm not saying it's terrible writing. Like, obviously, he's a shit person. But him just being a goofy, like, tag-along, like, servant kind of guy at the end of the movie is fucking stupid. It's, well, I laughed. I'm not going to lie. When I saw him wax in the car, I was like, oh, you fucking asshole. But also, like, I, I saw your note before I put the movie on about that. And so I was, like, looking for it. And, yeah, it's really weird that she talks about that night so like fondly well if it wasn't for him we wouldn't have fallen in love and i'm like yo like (laughs) can we hold on a minute like well and it's weird because i think it's i think it's important to remember and something that i think this movie is a good example of the way that like media tends to represent Mm. this poorly is that just because you didn't experience a rape does not mean you didn't experience an assault and oh, yeah. you don't get to like I think that this movie absolutely is saying that like there's no impact to, of one and it, I think like that's not true and I think it's important to acknowledge that like you can be assaulted and be traumatized by that without absolutely. experiencing rape and yeah and it's like 
this movie doesn't fucking understand that because I'm like, okay, she was assaulted in a big way. Like that's not, she should not be wanting him anywhere near her life or thinking fondly about that. That's not like, that's, I don't know, man. And like, I get that that is not what this movie is, but yeah, I was shocked that that's how far it went. And I will discuss this more when we get to our villain ratings, because I, this is fucking escalating on us, man. Like I, I can't believe (laughs) how far that, like in this movie, like what, what was that doing in this movie? That we could have had the same interaction without that assault because it was. So now it makes more sense to me why it gets to the point where George has. Oh, that's right. Because he has to open the door. Okay. Yeah. So that makes more sense. I was trying to figure out like, why doesn't it, everybody comes over when he gets knocked out, but no one heard her screaming. I Okay. that All right. Yeah. Because he has her in the. In he the has vehicle. her in the car and the door is closed. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's my bad, everybody. Sorry. It's. I, I was shocked. I'm not going to lie. That was the the bit of this movie that i was like i didn't want to warn you about it because after you had said you'd never seen it i wanted like a raw reaction to what happened no you know i saw your notes and i'm glad that i saw your note on it before i went in because um because i clocked more of like it's just it's weird the way that they portray her later like this wasn't like they really glazed over this like it wasn't a thing like it's just just this heroic moment and that was the one thing about the writing where i was like dude really but all that said i loved this movie like i don't want us to belabor the the negativity on it but this was weird i think it was worth calling out it was fucking like wow really holy shit um and so we'll talk a little bit more about how much this is escalating when we talk about villains but speaking of george yes um i think that the real hellscape here and the real reason that the tva like tva should have cut the original timeline i think it's <laughs> only only because of of uh of marty and doc brown and the fact that they were like meant to have this yeah. time travel adventure is the only reason that that timeline was not fucking pruned because the real hellscape is the idea that your high school bully would be able to continue that cycle of bu- abuse well into adulthood and become your supervisor at work, like pulling the same tactics that he used in high same school. Shit. Same lines, same fucking like, hey, did you do my homework? Hey, did you do these reports? Don't be such a butthead. I'm going to take a beer out of your fridge kind of shit. Also, as someone who is madly in love with Miller Lite, I take major exception to him having a problem with light beer being in the fridge. Fuck you, Biff. The sugar-free thing is really weird. That was There's really funny, There's all this, too. like, like this low-fat stuff in this movie. Yeah. I Give me a tab. I can't have a tab. You didn't order anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, like, honest to God, though, that dynamic in the original timeline, like, that is the bad place. Yes, 100%. Like, that's, I think we're in the bad place. sucks. Can you fucking imagine? It's a nightmare. Oh. It is literally a nightmare scenario. Like, I'm picturing my high school bullies like if they were my supervisors right now still pulling that shit. I swear to God. Like, so I'm glad that this timeline gets erased because that's genuinely horrible for George. And he really seems to be like he has the better better situation later. Also, I loved his him getting asked out by Lorraine and like the... Her or no him him getting ready to ask out Lorraine like the Darth Vader thing. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, he came down, down from, from Vulcan. Vulcan. God, dude, that 
it's honestly you know what it made me think of was that scene where uh jim in the office is trying to prove that dwight doesn't waste time and so he goes over to talk to andy about how dumbledore calrissian had to bring the one ring back to metropolis (laughs) and i'm just like oh this fucking hurts to listen to (laughs) <laughs> it was so funny and i like that he uses van halen's like opening riff to fucking like sound like it's alien language and shit that was so funny yeah and the headphones and the hazmat suit like that yep. was a great scene and his use of like that was a fun use of future stuff to um to like impact the timeline and get what you want the outlander could take a page out of this book they do that badly they suck at that they suck at being from the future. Well, so here's the other thing that like I think is really important about <laughs> I'm skipping right over this because I have heard nothing about <laughs> Outlander all fucking week. It's literally all week, you guys. I've heard nothing but Outlander this and Jamie that. <laughs> and this is soft core porn. Thank you, stars. Like <laughs> it's true. It's so true. <laughs> really historically accurate porn. Anyway, yes, feel free to glaze right over. It's so apropos. Outlander is a time travel story. I don't know what to tell you. No, I'm I'm here for it. I'm finally like glad that we're getting away from the Flash, even though we used a perfect Flash analogy in this movie. The Flash it, just like earned its place in this conversation. It kind of did. Didn't have to be clear. What are we? It's 63 just, it, episodes into this podcast, and we finally have the Flash getting some vindication. <laughs> in it, yeah, getting mentioned in a way that fucking makes sense and isn't just totally ridiculous for me to bring it up for no reason. I just like I think it's important to show the the dichotomy between past or like bad hellscape timeline George and confident strong George because if you think about it the movie really does revolve around his actions the entirety of like Marty's life is because his dad was like a wuss and like got walked over and then now Marty's life is like way better because his dad actually like found confidence he stood up for himself he realized like biff is a fucking piece of shit yeah and is like becomes a totally different he's person. a completely different person absolutely he is completely a different person yeah knocking out biff the teenage rapist was like really really just his confidence oh yeah it was confidence to the max and then crispin and- glover went on to be the crazy thin man from charlie's angels and he stole hair what the one with drew barrymore lucy Liu, and cameron diaz he's the oh creepy God. thin man the like i could not have told you that i, I do could know that movie. thank you amanda for another goddamn movie you forced me to watch it the, the car on road trips that's funny <laughs> god but yeah he's it's it's a it's like we said it's an interesting take on the time travel stuff because he is so different like it's it has a huge impact to all of them and uh and yeah and we're keeping it and the TVA says that's the correct. That's, that's the what correct happened, way y'all. To go, yeah, that was the right timeline, which is which is wild. But yeah, it is all about his actions, and I think that that's cool. Like the the that's maybe something that they could have developed a little bit better is like the father son relationship because you get the feeling that like throughout this whole thing, Marty is just kind of like, Dad, you fucking doofus. Yeah, he's like, kind of like, Dad, I mean? are you he's for not... real? Like, he even looks at him when they're at the dinner table and the dad's laughing at the episode of Jackie Gleason. And he's just like, ah, ah, ah. You can tell even by his laugh. Like, he is just like a pushover in the the Hellscape version. And then when he gets all this confidence, he's just like, ha, 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 ha. Well, so it's interesting that this movie takes that route to say that, like, 
no, no, it's better to like this guy that you wore before sucked. This yeah. other version of you is better. <laughs> and it's not like it it's what it very easily could have been is a story where like the son learns to appreciate his dad and his dad doesn't totally change as a human. Yeah. It's like really invalidating the hellscape version of him. Like it really is saying something about that. It's like, no, this is better. And like we, everybody respects him more and everybody's happier. The whole family is better off and happier now. It seems like. It's the, it's one of those, uh, you had it inside you all along. It's not a very self acceptance story. No, though, is it, it isn't. Not really like that other version of you you wish you could be that's probably the right thing hope you get there you know (laughs) what it is honestly it reminds me a lot of like the ending to greece where greece is about like being yourself and staying true to like who you are and then it's like uh both of the main characters fucking changed a hundred percent of who they were to be with the other person yeah, that's totally going to last. No. But yeah, it's like, <laughs> divorce is like, imminent. Like, as soon as you guys land yeah. the car that inexplicably flew into the clouds, <laughs> you guys as are soon fucking as you done. you the car. <laughs> oh my God. Just immediately following your crash into the Whomping Willow, we will I know, be for real. <laughs> as soon as you guys. <laughs> absolutely mad like yeah it's that's kind of a weird message that this it really kind of is but, yeah. but what's kind of awesome about the movie though is that like short of us talking about it at length it doesn't really like it's not super in your face like it's mostly just a fun movie you know that's it's not mostly the message well and well and that's the thing like I even know even though I know it's coming and I know this like awful scene is about to happen to Lorraine like this is still arguably one of the greatest movies ever made and I think it's because the bad part of it helps solidify the change in George so much Mm -hmm. um but yeah I think I think this is definitely one of this is easily one of my favorite movies that we've we've reviewed yeah this one was really good it's it's really up there. Like I I enjoyed this a lot. I think this would be of the eighties movies the one I would most be be most likely to rewatch. I think. Um, even though I really 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 liked the Karate Kid, I just don't know whether my first time experience like my Karate Kid virginity might have been so good that I don't need to rewatch it like i don't think it could ever be as good there was so much charm to like not knowing what was going on and being like well the the best part about (laughs) this like charm was the things you thought were funny were not supposed to be funny like you're just like this movie is fucking insane (laughs) yeah yeah and i think that's why it's so good and that's what this movie is like i'm not going to give this movie a perfect 10 even though i keep saying it is the perfect movie um Actually, maybe I will. I'll give it a 9.8. I think I'm going to do the same as you because I had it as a 10. And as we talk through it, I'm like, you know, there are some some things that make this not. Like, I can definitely see. Some cracks. I, I guess what I want to say is that this may still be a perfect movie because, uh, you know, like, how do we define that? Right. I think there are like the Lion King is like a perfect movie. That doesn't mean that it doesn't have some problems. Some flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect movies don't mean to me a perfect movie doesn't mean that it doesn't have some issues. Everything's going to have something, but it's just put together so flawlessly. Like, and I feel like this is, but I might be with you on like the 9.8 just because like, honestly, the fact that 
it like weirdly and flawlessly like promotes like don't be yourself yeah exactly that's a little weird that might be that plus the rape might be taking this to like a nine five point nine seven like it's a really good movie but it's weird right like i think we should go nine seven i'm with you because it's like I don't know that I can give it the full time. Don't even be if it yourself. Could be a perfect movie. <laughs> yeah, don't be yourself was the message of of this movie, <laughs> which I'm like, okay, <laughs> what? I mean, we touched on it a little bit, but I feel like because we, I mean, obviously we do it every time. It's the structure of the episode, but the the movie really doesn't hang on the villain like other movies do like obviously ghostbusters wouldn't have been ghostbusters without zool and you know return of the jedi wouldn't have been return of the jedi without vader and the emperor but this movie really doesn't hinge on the success of biff so it is kind of difficult to grade biff as a villain in the sense of his impact to the movie until we get to the biff sucks part like at the end because before that he's just he's just annoying like he's just like dude in your face and shit and he's just like a he's a catalyst or he's he's more just a mechanism to give george confidence it's in the sequels that biff actually becomes a genuine problem because like i said in the beginning in the sequel the direct sequel the second one biff from the future is given a magazine that shows the like winners of the world series i think it's either the world series or the super bowl for the last like 30 years and he uses that in 1955 to make a bunch of bets and win a shitload of money and then he buys the town and forces lorraine to marry him and then he forces her to get a boob job and he's just a terrible person jesus christ i know it's awful like well and and the other thing about him is that biff is kind of like as it goes into the sequels and they go into the past and into the future Mm -hmm. biff and biff's like family is like the the infinite villain to the mcflies and it's it's like in all times there well so i'm thinking that it's uh what's it called in what if oh a fixed point yeah yeah, a fixed point in time in the like this is 100% like within Marvel continuity. I just want to make that clear. Like this fucking <laughs> Back to the Future exists in the in the MCU straight <laughs> up. Um like because the TVA was absolutely involved here and like yeah, I think that it's a fixed point. I think it follows Marvel rules totally. It I, totally I think does. that them Despite their animosity Back to the is Future a fixed being point. Full of shit. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like it's I I really think it makes sense though that that's that's the thing that's fixed. And so that's what makes him this like properly the antagonist is the sequels and the way that their families intertwine. But in this movie, my big takeaway on Biff was just that like Biff sucks. Yeah, first of all, Biff is the fucking worst. What an asshole. And, I hate that guy and so do you. <laughs> and these these 80s bullies have been escalating quickly. They kind of really like, have. Yeah, because we've talked about it in every movie that we've done since since starting it with E.T., right? Um, the first, like, kids movie with yeah. bullies that we saw. It was just, like, what is it? Brand- Brandon's friends just, like, verbally make fun of Elliot. And then we got into Karate Kid where it's straight up fucking assault. And then we have what I could only describe as almost attempted murder when those kids throw uh, Bastion into the dumpster. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. In never ending story. And, and also we can't forget the Goonies and yeah, now we have rape. Um, we're not, we are. That's attempted murder too. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of bullying in the Goonies. I think like I, I haven't really, if I think I've seen that movie, but I'm aware that there's mm-hmm. a lot of bullying in the Goonies and, and then now we're here. So yeah. And it's, and now we have like this assault and it's, it really is escalating. Like it's getting to be like, you're not a bully. You're a criminal. Yeah. You're straight up a criminal. I mean, they tried to run him over in the street before, like in front of people in the middle of stars hollow. Oh yeah. They're all just like fucking looking at him. Like, Oh, look out. There goes the, first of all, he drove right through the fucking center of the town and no one's like, Hey, is there maybe like a police officer anywhere? He reminds me of, uh, the bad guy in Luca who like somehow is like an adult though. Also, Oh Yeah. But yeah. like the like where it's just like how it's not, not really. Why right is now? everyone just watching on? this happen? Yeah, what the fuck? I so it's really escalating a lot, and I'm glad that I think that this might be our last '80s bully. Um, I'm pretty sure that it is. I'm I mean, unless sure you guys is. want to include Iceman, but I don't think he's a bully. I think he's just again from he's the just- X Men. <laughs> No, 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 no. From Top Gun. What the fuck? Oh, I was like, what are we talking about? Top Gun's not something I have a lot of fluency in. That's fine. Um, go on. I apologize. I was like, no, wait, that's fine. First He's... of all, that's way down in the timeline. Second that's of all, it was really far. like Inferno or whatever his name is. Pyro. Good Lord. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I knew no, Top, like Iceman <laughs> is not the villain. He's just the frenemy. Not even but a friend of me. He's just a rival. Top Gun. Yeah, they're, he's a rival. They're grown-ups. That's why I'm not... I Well, first of all, because I don't even know. And second of all, because uh, I'm kind of... I'm not counting the adults. I'm thinking, like, this was yeah. our last, like, teenagers Teenage who were bullies, but also murderers. This is the last one. I am actually looking um, at the timeline right now, and yeah, that's the last this is it. one we've got. Yeah, holy and shit. good fucking riddance, I say. We can go I out agree. on a low note with yep. Diff. We can like, go out on the I'm, lowest note. Yeah, I'm over it, and uh, yeah, no thank you. Mm-hmm. It was done well in Stranger Things. It like, was. Like everything yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> but, like uh, everything from the 80s was done better in Stranger Things. Exactly. And I don't really know how to rate him, though. Like it's, I didn't. It feels I like... honestly didn't know how to rate him, so I was just like, I can't. Because again, he's either a mechanism or he is a direct catalyst to... You know, like he's he is not integral enough to the story other than George is like overcoming confidence problems, but he doesn't directly stop Morty from going back in time. There's nothing he does that would you stop keep saying Morty. Morty and it's so funny. Do I really? said Morty stop. like four times. Yeah, I'm just letting you. <laughs> God damn it. He doesn't stop. <laughs> well, See, that's again, that's the films that made us. Right. Yeah, it's really impact, wild. Dude. It's it's crazy watching this like kind of for the first time yeah now, and seeing totally this movie was good this was a really good movie it was so much fun um i really enjoyed everything about doc brown by the way we didn't talk about him like at length because he just sort of is but i he's but fucking he hilarious was, dude when he apologized for the crudity of his model i died <laughs> i didn't have time to paint it and i'm like what <laughs> It's not to scale, it's, but like, why? Why I did want to ask this before we like close out on him. Why does he go to 2015 immediately, only to create a sequel, right? Only to show up yeah, five so minutes later. Just 
they they liked the story and everybody enjoyed the story so much that they were like what if we just like left it open that the future could be anything right so they initially were just like have them go into the future discover shit and then like they're like dude what if we created like an actual like problem like a reason to continue like marty being involved because doc really isn't in the movie that much he's only in the movie when it needs to be about like getting back to the future um and so i wish there'd been way more of him he was i know so me funny. too it, this the third one is literally all about him the third one is when they go back way back in time to 1885 Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about him getting stuck back then. Maybe I'll need to watch these sequels. I keep saying that about stuff and not doing it. But you are my sequel but, watcher. Yeah, I know. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, I'm just you know ignoring my duties, but also I will be taking care of that when we get back into the Disney. It's it's really the Disney straight to DVD sequels that I have committed to, and we will be getting there soon. To where there's going to be a lot of extensive direct DVD sequels that I will be watching and commenting on and hopefully learning a lot about. I can't wait to return to Disney. Hey, are we returning to Disney anytime soon? We are. We are. We will be back next week for our triumphant return to Disney with the Black Cauldron. And I haven't seen this movie since I was like four years old and I cannot fucking wait to see what this movie is because this is Disney's dark ages, folks. (laughs) Like, like for the, for, for perspective on the timeline, like it's been a long time since we did a Disney movie. Actually, but... I can tell you what our last Disney movie was. Holy shit. It was Pete's Dragon. Okay. So yeah, Pete's Dragon and also the Rescuers were two Disney movies from 1977. So it has been seven years in the timeline since there was a Disney movie. Yep. Of of note, right? Or of any. Yeah. Worth yeah, worth even like commenting on. And that's what's so good about the Black Cauldron is most people don't even remember this movie. The old, yeah, okay, so the only Disney movie that came out in the interim was 1981's The Fox and the Hound. That was the only Disney yeah. movie of any description that came out in the interim. So, um there it it still has been, you know, 4 years. It'll it's Black Cauldron came out in 85. Yeah, so it's been 4 years since the last Disney movie came out at all. So, can you imagine a world where 4 years go by and Disney doesn't produce anything? And 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 then when they do, it's the Black Cauldron, and it's like, what? So that's coming up, followed by the Great Mouse Detective in 1986, where things start to pick up for Disney. But I am really excited to see what in the fuck uh, the Black, Black Cauldron is like to watch about. now. <laughs> yeah, because that's been a really, really, really long time, and it's my understanding that it's bad. So I'm really excited for us to discuss the Black Cauldron next week. <laughs> um so but yeah make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts follow us on social media you can find links for the sites and the social media in the episode description and if you want to support the podcast check us out on patreon you can also check out the website for all the timeline goodies past present and future and until we see you next week stay nerdy see ya